Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Myanmar, the United Kingdom, and Brazil. Starting out with the United States, we have news that a fire at a Planned Parenthood uh, location in Knoxville, Tennessee, has finally been deemed to be arson. The fire occurred at the Planned Parenthood location last year in December, uh, but the investigation was finally determined uh, to be arson. That means that this was a fire intentionally caused in order to destroy this abortion clinic's location. This is not particularly new in the United States, especially in the South, uh, where attacks on abortion centers were mainstays of right-wing political activity, uh, especially in the 90s and 2000s, although they never really stopped. Further right-wing activity in the United States is that an Indiana GOP state senator named Scott Baldwin uh, has called for a neutral position uh, in the state's education system regarding fascism. Uh, He said, you know, that we shouldn't, like, teach kids perspectives about these isms. Uh, His quote is that we need to be impartial. Uh, He has since walked back these claims um, and said that he apologized for implying that the Nazis should not be condemned. But this deserves some attention. You know, it deserves some thinking about. Uh, Mr. Baldwin is not alone in his belief that, you know, the isms of the world should be treated with neutrality in the education system. Uh, Many times the education system, especially in the United States, fails to be sufficiently ideological about these things, and when it is ideological, it's ideological in a really disgusting nationalistic way. Instead, we need to maintain that it is important (laughs) to maintain an ideological opposition to fascism because it is an enemy of both the political center and the political left. Uh, You need ideology. You need, like, real serious beliefs that fascism is wrong and must be stopped in order to stop it. Uh, Anything else, especially in the classroom, only promotes students to be curious about it uh, as opposed to being disgusted by it. Additionally, in the United States, we have evidence that more politicians are refusing to work with the January 6th special committee uh, investigating the attempted coup uh, in 2020. This is coming from Politico. Uh, The most recent refuser is a person named Jim Jordan, a Republican representative from Ohio. Uh, He has fully denied uh, his obligation to cooperate with the committee and is saying essentially that he's he's stonewalling them. He doesn't think that they have any authority whatsoever to require him to cooperate in their investigation, to require him to speak before them, to release anything at all. Uh, They asked Jordan to speak with them because the committee already has a fair amount of information regarding his participation in the planning, the organization, the conduct of the coup. Uh, And so his refusal might be an indication that, you know, he he doesn't really want to appear before them because he doesn't want to publicly have to admit or talk about things that he knows that he did in fact do. At this point, this means that essentially everybody that the select committee has requested to speak in front of them has said no. Uh, This is a full refusal from Trump and his allies to engage with this process willingly. This means that the committee is going to have to go forward with one of two options. One of them is to ignore the cooperation or participation of Republicans in this investigation. That is, aside from the Republicans who uh, agreed to be on the committee itself, such as Liz Cheney. So they could either do that, 
Or they could try to pursue legal means of forcing these Republicans and, you know, other Trump allies such as Steve Bannon to participate in the election. They could really, like, pursue legal action. Uh, they could sue them. Uh, they could follow through with the legal consequences of failing to um, follow through with a subpoena. They could really bring these people to trial, frankly, uh, for failing to engage with this process. But the question is, do they have the political will to do that? And if they do, will popular support be behind them, especially in an election year? And that's precisely the bet that the Republicans are taking. Going to close out coverage of the United States with some good news, actually. This is coming out of the Pacific Northwest. A member of the base, a former, uh, it's very good to be able to say that, a former paramilitary terrorist organization in the United States, uh, has been sentenced to 48 months in prison on felony charges, uh, which include various charges involving weapons, breaking into correctional facilities, etc. Uh, specifically, he and his fellow co-conspirators, also members of the base, uh, were stealing from state correctional facilities in order to provide materials for their paramilitary training camps. This means that uh, as these investigations and imprisonments and sentences go forward, the base is being increasingly dismantled. And that's especially good because the base was one of the more like straightforwardly paramilitary of the alt-right formations. Uh, you know, they, they had battle plans, they were preparing people for fully armed rebellion type activities, uh, as opposed to your more like fascist street brawls and partisan violence in public, uh, like the Proud Boys had been engaging in. Uh, the base instead was a much more like openly terrorist organization. You know, like they had plans to break people out of prison and, you know, destroy power stations and stuff like that. So uh, it's good that this network is being increasingly dismantled. Moving on from the United States to the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, the conservative prime minister of the UK and a formerly intubated COVID patient, might really be on the way out. Now, this is the British press, and it's specifically the British political press, so it's kind of hard to tell exactly uh, what really is going on and what is being sensationalized. But there's just been a lot of reporting and a lot of commentary about him being politically unstable. And I haven't mentioned it before in the podcast, so I thought I would. Uh, he has been facing a lot of political criticism, not only for his handling of the pandemic, like as a policymaker, but also for his personal activity during the pandemic. Uh, there have been several recent scandals uh, in the last several weeks and months about conservative party members, uh, staffers, and also members of parliament, including the prime minister, participating in parties that broke quarantine during the like full lockdown you know, the 100% don't leave your house time uh, that the British law was enforcing at the very beginning of 2020 and, you know, into the, the, the following years of the pandemic. This means that the prime minister has been caught defying the rules of public safety uh, and his apologies have been found wanting uh, in the world of public appeal. Uh, this means that he could very reasonably face a leadership challenge. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with parliamentary systems, this means that his party, the Conservative Party, might remove him as the leader of their party, which would mean that he is no longer the prime minister, although he would still, at least as long as he continues to be elected and until, the until or unless uh, the Conservative Party drops him, uh, he would remain a member of parliament. This means that he could, you know, cease to be the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom 
essentially at any point that this uh, this leadership challenge might be called. Moving on from the United Kingdom to Myanmar or Burma, the military court of that country has sentenced Aung San Suu Kyi, the former president of Burma, to four additional years in prison. This is from The Guardian. Uh, she had already been sentenced to a prison term for breaking COVID rules. Uh, however, this time her sentence was for owning unlicensed walkie-talkies, uh, a very transparently trumped-up charge for a military court that just wanted to keep the former president of the country, the, the president whom they ousted in their coup in February of last year, uh, from being a member of the public, from being involved in politics for as long as possible. Uh, the former president is already 76, and so the several years that she faces in prison could very well, at this point, be a life sentence. The military is already facing serious backlash, both domestically and internationally, for these charges and for their conduct in these trials. And this, you know, the, the trial itself already represents them just doubling down on their political repression in Myanmar or Burma. Uh, this means that they seem to be intent on reinstalling the country's military rule, which uh, had control of that country for the majority of the last half of the 20th century, uh, including the 15 years that Aung San Suu Kyi was already in prison in that country. Moving on to Brazil, the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, has been really, really ramping up his propaganda in preparation for the election in that country in October of this year. Specifically, he has been promoting the idea that that country's Supreme Court is stacked against him, and specifically that two of its justices are loyal, like, like in a literal partisan political sense, to his presumed most dangerous opponent, uh, Ignacio Lula de Silva, who was the former president of Brazil, who was imprisoned for a time in the height of a major corruption scandal uh, that rocked Brazil earlier in the previous decade. What this means is that Bolsonaro is really doubling down on his rhetoric about, you know, a potential stolen election. Now, he has already been laying this groundwork for a long time. You know, he's talked about how the means of counting votes is invalid. He's talked about how the Supreme Court is invalid. He might be setting himself up for his own version of, you know, what the United States media is calling Trump's big lie, uh, the idea that the election is invalid. And much like Trump, Bolsonaro is precisely the kind of political figure who might try to do something about his loss. Uh, he might try to do something extra legal about it. So we're going to have to pay attention to this and especially his continued rhetoric about it. Finally, I close out this episode as I do every episode with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are in Romania, and I'm talking about Ion Mocha. And if you speak Romanian or know how to pronounce it better than that, my sincerest apologies. Uh, this is how Google told me to pronounce the man's name. Mocha was second in command of the legionary movement, the Romanian fascist movement. Uh, he was born in 1902 to a nationalist Orthodox priest and did very well in school, uh, so well that he studied for several years outside of Romania at top schools in France, uh, which had some of the best uh, education systems in the European continent at the time. 
he continued in his family's tradition as a far-right Romanian nationalist and spent his youth joining and founding various national groups until meeting Codreanu, uh, who is the eventual leader of the Romanian fascist movement in 1923. Uh, there, the two really bonded and became a political team, uh, essentially inseparable until Mocha's death. Together, they formed a group of people who tried to assassinate Romanian leaders and specifically Jewish leaders in Romania. Uh, they were found out and tried. Uh, and in the middle of the trial, Mocha killed the informant, uh, the, the person who had informed on them. Uh, however, despite the fact that he murdered a witness in the middle of the courtroom, uh, he wa and a lot of the others got very, very light prison sentences, and they were back in Romanian politics shortly thereafter. And in fact, shortly after this, in 1927, uh, Mocha and Codreanu and several of these other people who were involved in this and other similar plots formed the Romanian fascist organization, or the, the the, the most important of Romania's fascist organizations, the Legion of the Archangel Michael, or the Iron Guard. Uh, it's, it goes by both names, typically. The Iron Guard was Romania's most important fascist movement, and I talk about its particular history in other podcasts. Uh, Mucha himself took a somewhat different route. Uh, he was a consummate internationalist. Uh, he was a real internationalist fascist, uh, perhaps due to his youth traveling around Europe and getting involved in various nationalist organizations and being inspired by nationalists uh, around the continent. He represented the Iron Guard in the Fascist International, which was a sort of abortive attempt by Mussolini to unite the fascist parties of Europe. Uh, he also worked a lot with German fascist ideologues and publishers. Uh, for example, it was Mocha who translated the German version of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, an anti-Semitic uh, propaganda pamphlet, into Romanian. Uh, ever the internationalist, Mocha then decided to join up with his fellow fascists in Spain. Uh, in 1936, he formed an expeditionary group of Iron Guards members and other Romanian nationalists to fight for Franco in Spain. And it was there that he died. Uh, he died in Madrid, this week in history, 13th of January, 1937, fighting for fascism in Spain. Uh, his funeral in Romania and the other commemoratory events in it were major international events in the fascist circles of Europe. We had German ministers, Italian ministers, e even Japanese representatives coming to pay homage to this uh, true fascist believer. So, Ion Mocha, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Tell friends, family, or comrades. That's how actual listens happen. You know, people saying, hey, this podcast was useful, it was interesting, it was informative. If it was really useful, interesting, or informative to you, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word and spelled out like with letters, not 15 the number. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm at Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right. All right. I will talk to you next week.